Tom, 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 Tom Gaffey. Are we on? We're on? We're on. Wow. <laughs> it's a good thing we weren't on a few minutes earlier because uh, obviously this is going to be quite a show. Uh, we were discussing, however, crotch rot and omelets. And, uh... <laughs> well, you know, I think that's all the introduction we need. Uh, <laughs> very interesting group of people here today. Uh, we have the person that's who brought these idea. people here, it, Ross, Ross Fernandez. And he has a lot of history in Petaluma. He has a lot of history at the Phoenix. He has a lot of history we're going to delve into. And along the way, he's made a lot of music, made a lot yeah, of friends. he makes a lot of great and music. And has just done a lot of interesting, quirky things. Hi. My, Ross, and introduce your friends here. So, to, well, you guys can't see me right now, but to my right, I got my buddy Eric Smith, who I... Hello. Me and him, we do some really awesome rock and guitar duo shit. It's kind of like duo. John Bon Jovi and uh, Richie Sambora, but just way hotter and way beefier. But they look better in leather. And also, <laughs> um, my buddy Colin Goheen, who plays bass in a, well, he used to play bass in a band called Our Vinyl Vows, and he also is an awesome videographer. I'm, I'm mostly just Ross's friend, though. That's my claim to fame. So we've done the introductions, and I, I don't know. Tom, what, what would be the thing that you would ask Ross if he had him in front of you and you were recording a radio show? <laughs> you know, actually, I'd, I'd like to actually discuss his arc uh, musically uh, because I've been watching him. The Phoenix has been watching him for, ooh, uh, what, 13 or 14 years now? No, I it's think. longer than that. Longer than that. Yeah, it yeah. is. Well, the thing is, is like, it's like everything, I, I'm not really serious about music at all or really what? anything in general. You're, you're a man who professionally styles hair, correct? <laughs> you know it. You're a man who loves Disney. <laughs> Oh, God. You're a man who uh, has some musical ability, even if you don't take it seriously. Quite a bit of musical Quite ability. Quite a bit of musical yeah. ability, would I you think. say? I, yeah. I like pop music. But you, the, abil- the ability, the ability to produce and create as well, right? Well, yeah. I, I really... You may be I hating create. on your stuff, but you, you have the ability to create, I, I, and you do. Tom, yeah. what do you make of all this so far? There's just a lot going on here. A lot yeah. of history. And how do you want to start this thing out? Oh, uh, no, What's yeah, your I, earliest memory of Ross here at the building? Oh man, well it's got to be mainstream trend. Yeah, um, and they they what, were quite. What a is man- that? What is mainstream trend? Mm-hmm. Mainstream huh. trend was a uh, w- I was pretty much writing the uh, third, ska yeah, the ska wave. thing, and uh, and they were all great players. What story stands out the most from the mainstream trend well, days? Really, the whole thing with mainstream trend and being that it was like being 15 years old and playing at the Phoenix. Like in front of a thousand kids, unbelievable. And you played in front of a thousand people at the Phoenix, yeah. And yeah, there, yeah. okay, so the, one of the most memorable stories about playing at the Phoenix at 15, there was a tin circus, which was Judah from Velveteen yeah. and um, Josh and uh, a couple people. Um, it was Ryan Craft, or no, it was Robin Craft. Yeah, there were some great players, yeah. So well, yeah. it was Tin Circus's release party, and it was also the conspiracies, um, the boot um, release party. So mainstream trend was supposed to go on like second or second, I think. And Judah came up to me backstage and I was like some rotten 300 pound, 15 year old turd. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he was like, Hey man, I really got to let you know, like you guys got to open up the show. And I was like, fuck you. This is bullshit. Like I'm not going on. Like this is bullshit. Fuck this. No way. <laughs> Which is funny because so if you're listening and you don't know, you know Judah is part of Velveteen now, and he's a fairly well known and very respected oh, yeah. person in Sonoma oh, yeah. County. He's well, a, in, he's quite very soft spoken. Usually, well, you know. And the thing is, is like even back then, 
Judah was the man. Like he is, is an incredible bass player, and like that band was a major fucking player. Well, so yeah. obviously oh, the, the, there were a thousand sure people yeah. at that show. We oh yeah, think. oh yeah, yeah. It, it, there was, had yeah, to it was be. a big show. They were yeah. they were still hitting numbers here. So yeah. anyway, so Judah comes up to me and says like I'm he's, I'm really sorry, but I gotta let you know he's like there's more people than I've ever seen here before, and so. I immediately go out on stage and it's like eight o'clock at night and there, this place was wall to wall heads and being a 15 year old kid and standing in front of a thousand dancing ska people, it was like the most, honestly, like I've never been able to like get, like I've never been able to get that like kind of like feeling in my entire life. Like it was just unbelievable. Tom, what stands out to you from the ska days when ska was really popular? Well, again, that's uh, when ska was really popular. It's, it's one of those frozen moments and it was uh, still, it keeps going back to it. It might've been that same night. It was a conspiracy uh, moment when conspiracy was singing. It's a conspiracy against me. Yeah. And we did, we had probably had a thousand kids in here that night and the floor, the, which was the legal stage, at the time, yeah. which, which was, was legal, legal at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Those numbers were, were legal then. And everybody was dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ska crowds were, uh, Usually fairly safe, uh, awful lot of movement, but not a lot of anger in that form of music. No. So it was always a good time. It was a dancey thing, and and uh, uh, some of my favorite bands that came through here were ska bands. Slow Gherkin was definitely Slow Gherkin. God damn, is that a local Pickle? band or is that a uh, Slow Gherkin was Santa was Cruz a Santa Cruz band, and I think they were doing a takeoff on off the name Skank and Pickle, yeah. who was also an incredible ska band yeah. that played here a lot in, in the day. Yeah. Big shows you play, you played that show. What other big shows did you play with that band, or was that the biggest one? Um, yeah, I would probably say that that was probably like as far as attendance and like feeling and vibe wise goes that was definitely the best we played a lot of good sh- like within the within the like trajectory of like the the big heavy show days that i was playing here um there was a whole lot of great ones um there was a benefit for tom and the phoenix the that 10 we- year was that the 10 year or no that was the pg and e show that time what, what do you mean the pg and e show we, we're jumping ahead. We needed, to, we needed to pay the PG&E bill. So yeah. you threw a benefit show. There was yeah, a PG&E. Oh, it was yeah. it was awesome. It, it did the job. <laughs> That's it, great. The, yeah, and that was all that was all Fat Matt Productions did that one. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, uh, boy, it just kicked. We did really well with that. There was a lot of good bands that played there that night. Yeah, it was like Toast Machine and it was uh, Boston Auto, which was huge. Oh yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. after the ska era was that like for me i mean i know there was all these different eras in music but after ska hit i remember metal taking over like papa roach and corn and all yep. that shit every band sounded like corn did corn ever play here <laughs> never had corn uh, almost had corn and, and lost it. you know that's that's part of the booking game when you're in petaluma you can have a great band booked and uh uh lose the gig to sacramento or san francisco yeah. or you know somewhere else mm. we had um new kids on the block you know booked here for about a day and a half Oh. And uh, it was a rental. Wow. Yeah, right. Well, they no. it, it you sold think it, so quickly the first day they moved it. They took it from us uh, and moved it up to uh, LBC? Santa Rosa. Wells Fargo LBC, Center? Yeah, it yeah. was uh, Luther Burbank in those places. Oh. Okay, how about this? Best metal show, worst metal show, and ugliest metal show. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Schizo would probably Might be, be all the same ones. <laughs> yeah, but Schizo would be on, on, on all of those. Yeah. But, um, you know, best, <laughs> I still have to go with Slayer. I, uh, oh, that was a band I did not understand until I saw them live and realized, oh, my God. That is metal. Yeah. You that bet. was out of control. It was called Slayer for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the worst had to be Machine Head. They got a, a song and a half into the set, and their bass player fell over and hit his head on the drum riser and ended the show. <laughs> Here's the deal. And did you give money That's back? Metal. This is, oh, this is so bad. We were, so this is how funky we were as a theater in those days. Um, water was the band's need water. Great. So I got a couple of gallons of water, put a bunch of cups out there. And Machine Head was the first band to say, what is this? Well, that's your cups for water. We don't cups. No, we got to have bottles. You got to have what? We got to have bottles of water. 
It's metal bottles. right there. You know what I'm thinking? What? <laughs> One of you guys, a bunch of rock stars, got to have your own bottles of water. Well, nobody does it without it, bottles nowadays. But in those days, I couldn't comprehend bottles of water like that. But I went down to the market and bought a bunch of bottles of water for them. And we, they had them all set all over the stage and on the drum riser and below the drum riser. And first song goes through and it's great. The second song comes up and the bass player is playing up on the drum riser. He steps down off the drum riser onto his bottle of water <laughs> and falls over backward. Hits his head on the drum riser and ends the show. Damn. Son of a gun. It took another six months before I would provide a bottle of water on this stage. When I said ugly metal, I guess what I meant is, what's like the drunkenest mesh you've ever seen on stage here? Oh, no, that would have been... Country. Uh, that would have been any of the early uh, local... Um, oh. early 90s local metal bands oh, uh, but it was metal tasty yeah the metal shows were usually but they were hairball metals in those days yeah uh, there was a lot of ratted hair there was a lot of spandex <laughs> yeah i couldn't go back there it was fun while it was happening to some degree yeah but yeah the amount of ridiculousness on stage and backstage oh, was yeah. like a rat <laughs> was remarkable the Wish dirtiest metal here. show that I ever saw here was when um, it, Schizo was playing, and I went to high school with this weird hillbilly named Carlo. And Carlo, he was probably like 17 at the time, total hillbilly. And he's up on stage dressed in all drag and just flashing his twig and berries to the crowd, getting <laughs> down on a Schizo show. Oh, and I thought to myself, oh my God, I go to high school with this guy, and he's a total hick. Yeah. Like, go figure. That's interesting. Now, what's the band that vomits on people? That's Schizo. That's Schizo, oh. yeah. yeah. Now, Ross, if you had to describe that to somebody, what is that? Does he stick his finger down his throat? Does he have the ability to vomit on command? You know, it's been a long time since I've seen those guys, and he did vomit on command, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he can vomit on command. Schizo, for the outsider, is a local that's metal a band that's been playing yeah. 20 years in Sonoma County. Is that correct? Oh, no. Yeah. Schizo, Still going he's, got, he's going on 30 years. I think yeah, they it, just had their 30 years. And has everybody at the table seen Schizo play before? Yeah. No, I have not. You know, oh, my God. Uh, well, you're missing crazy. out. They do it right. Honest yeah. to God, Schizo place i'm telling you uh so and and one of the best metal shows i had ever seen uh schizo had in their career lost it was i it was a oh, three yeah, piece to begin with as, as i recall it was yeah. it was lance uh, playing bass a guitar player a and a drummer or something well uh, that's it uh, later okay because i think what had happened was uh they lost their drummer uh their drummer was uh, mm-hmm. i think th- was it a plane crash or was, something i don't know exactly which one it was but one of their players uh left the house on his motorcycle to get cigarettes one day and never came back that's the story Lance told me. So I think that's when they lost their drummer. They replaced that drummer with someone else and uh, went on. And then next, I think it was the guitar player. Uh, apparently, close to the same story, may have gotten in, in a motorcycle accident. Something weird. And they lost their guitar player. So now you've got the only original member of the band was left Lance. was Lance. And what Lance decided to do was a reunion show. And so because uh, he, he had tracks of all the stuff that they'd played before, uh, he he mixed it mm-hmm. all together, brought it up on stage, put a mannequin behind the drums and a mannequin on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And deck. Lance played yeah with a tape deck. Yeah. And Lance played the bass and sang, and it was have to be in the top five uh, metal shows I've seen. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that was the it show. Was that incredible. That, that was the, with the drunk hillbilly hillbilly with the that was the dress. One, yeah, metal wise, that was an incredible show. What year was that? Ooh, 98, 99? Yeah, 98 or I was really young. There was like all these weird glimpses of like things that I saw at the Phoenix when I was like 15 and 16 years old because I wasn't allowed to stay out that late. (laughs) So I had to be in like right when the headliner would start, I'd usually have to like go home. So I can remember one time um, hearing about this group called Incubus and I couldn't get any of my friends to go with me to see Incubus. So I went, I'm waiting all night to see Incubus and I... All of a sudden, this band starts, and they're like hardcore metal, and the singer jumps up on stage with these crazy dreads, and I remember thinking, 
I, I liked Scott at the time, so I saw that and I was like, fuck this, and just left. Uh, I do remember the Incubus show, and they started late. It, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. That was a rental show. And somehow the promoter of the show got angry at the manager of Incubus and threw him out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm waiting for Incubus to go on stage, and it's it's getting later and later. Like, geez, we gotta get this. I've got a full house. I need to get these people out of here before it blows up. There is a magic hour you hit where you need to get people out before it blows up. Boy, isn't that we the were, truth? It's the truth. Yeah, and what, we do, were what, what do you think? That. It's like ten thirty, eleven. It depends on the show. If it's if it's uh, no, it's by eleven o'clock for for hip hop. On those hip hop really shows want, that we've done together, <laughs> gotta have if your. If you don't have the headliner on by eleven o'clock, <laughs> the weirdest cow. thing happens. Yep. Fights happen. Yeah, cops get called. The witching hour. And in in metal, that was pretty close. I'd like to have the headliners on by 11. But uh, the guy who was putting the show on had thrown their manager out, and they wouldn't go on until we found the manager and got him back in the building, which which I agreed. He didn't seem like a bad guy to me. So we got him back in. I think we had to sneak him in the back door to get the show started. I think it's really silly to let your emotions get the best of you and throw the manager of the band out of the building. That might throw a wrench into the operation. So I'm leading into... Uh, what are the biggest promoter meltdowns you've seen at the Phoenix, Mr. Gaffey? Oh, it was the one for Forbidden. Ah, uh, it was Forbidden. Like, I like, you know, as far as metal bands went, I've always liked Forbidden. I've never uh, heard them. They put on a heck of a show. And but so this Forbidden time, was a national metal was, band. Yeah, they were well a regional more, I think, a okay. West Coast band. And um, their numbers were very, very poor this one night. And apparently uh, there had been no guarantee sent, and the band was about to get paid nothing. The, uh, at the back of the room here, the uh, the manager and the promoter were arguing, and, and the manager said, no, man, you know, you've got to get us something. Well, I would have gotten you something if you guys were any good. And at about that time... The promoter says that. Oh, yeah, the promoter said <laughs> oh, that, yeah. which was a mistake to say that. No, because boom, he got punched in the face and down he went. That was it was a classic moment. So yeah, you really don't want to tell the band they suck, especially if it's a metal band, especially if everybody in the band is weighing in at two between two and two fifty, I think. They were big boys as I recall. And and uh, and great actually. I thought they were a good band. I mean you've had promoters, Tom, who come through and they offer guarantees to these bands and then they don't pay them, right? Most of the time they do, but yeah, every once in a while you'll get a young promoter, it's uh, you know, one of the one of the keys to, for a lot of people to great success is naivety. Because I've seen some people go into projects that they absolutely have no idea what the project is or what is truly needed to make it be a success, but they know they want to do it. And because that's all they know, through happenstance, it does, and through actually being pragmatic and, and working your butt off, sometimes people can actually go a long ways with just just... The idea of what they want, not knowing that they can't. Yeah. And so we've had a lot of young promoters come through here that absolutely have bit off more than they could yeah. chew. And, and the Phoenix is pretty gentle about that stuff. We want to do the shows, and we want to have the experiences. So sometimes we'll actually help out if the promoter gets himself in trouble, if we can afford to, uh, which we do. And, and, yeah, there's been a couple of young promoter meltdowns with, with bands. And you will know us by the trail of I remember dead. that one. Yeah, that, that was... That guy a, got hit up for, like, what... he They, they took him to his ATM for, like, f- as yeah, much they as they could possibly yeah, get from him. Yeah, for as much as they could get. And they wanted money from the, from the theater, but we weren't getting paid either that night. He was a good kid, too. And, and my understanding was he didn't sign a contract. There was no contract. There was no guarantee. And he I didn't was send, shocked He didn't send a deposit. Yeah, no, no so, deposit. So, for the, for the outsider, no here's, here's how these things work. Uh, an individual will contact the booking agent of a band... And they'll be like, hey, would you like to play a show? Or the booking agent will contact them. Anyway, a set amount of money, a guarantee is agreed upon, or a split. 
and the band comes and plays the show. Typically, the band will get a contract and a deposit to sort of guarantee and make Usually sure there's a Usually half their money up front. Yeah, 50% up front. So it's sort of unheard of, actually, for a band not to collect on that. It was a shock at the end oh. of this show to find out that there wasn't even a deposit sent. That show was like a, basically an add-on to a, like a bigger show that was sold out in the city or something, like yeah. the night prior. They had played a larger show in San Francisco And the it was like before. on a Tuesday night or something weird It was weird Tuesday, like that. it, it was, was rainy and cold. Rainy and cold nights on weeknights in Petaluma are really, uh, it can be a bad sign for a show, unless you've got a very strong artist. Uh, oh, boy, it's, some of our worst nights have been rainy and cold. <laughs> the Raekwon show, I think, also was uh, kind of got rained out a little bit. We didn't do as well as we could have, I think. You know, it's interesting. Uh, speaking of Raekwon, though, I did do Jizza here, and boy, yeah, that did. was a disaster. Ah. Uh, he <laughs> well, apparently he had retired to his hotel in Novato. I don't know why they booked him a hotel in Novato. Which, if you're out there and you don't know geography of Petaluma, <laughs> it's about 25 minutes away where his hotel was. Not in Petaluma. And. <laughs> And I guess he'd eaten a pot brownie earlier in the day. Somebody told me it was a sucker. Somebody had told me it was a sucker. Okay, curfew here is 12 o'clock. I'm in, I'm in the parking lot until 11.05. He doesn't come out of his room. So he comes back. We make it back to Petaluma by 11.30. Plays oh, like 20 man. minutes, 25 minutes. Uh, That's terrible. But there was oh, a couple no. points where he was, uh, whatever happened, he was so affected he got a little paranoid. There were times apparently that he had to walk off the stage to collect himself and then come <laughs> back on. Gosh, I, 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 it I surprised him. If... If indeed it was some type of ingestion of marijuana, then apparently what might have happened is he got so stoned from this yeah. stuff, he got too paranoid to leave his hotel room is what I'd heard. Yeah. And uh, when he got on stage, he actually was still kind of suffering from a little bit of paranoia. You know, I, so we've jumped around a lot. Trail of the Dead. You will know us by the Trail of Dead. So what happened there? Um, well, that was uh, basically, he was a young guy with, you know, not much of a bank account, so they really didn't get much money from that show. And, yeah. and uh, we didn't get paid either, but... Yeah. I did actually, uh, from what we made through the door, I did pay our staff. And everything we made, we, we did give to the, to the promoter to give to the band. And it just wasn't that much. And that was a tough show. Um, it was a surprise to me. And that was pretty much uh, where they had to agree. I, said, I couldn't believe you guys came out to a club like this without getting any kind of a deposit. And <laughs> they had to look at me and agree, yo, you're, you're did, right. Did Hillary <laughs> Duff get a deposit? Oh, man. Hillary, yeah, Hillary Duff got a deposit. Hillary Duff oh, you bet. God damn, that That's was that one. That thing sold out I want to hear in all about that. Five seconds? <laughs> Hillary Duff, yeah, uh, it sold out in uh, 10 minutes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Kidding. So that was that was wow. before my time. That was 2006, 2005. That, that you know was what? awesome. I, that I was, was here. one of the most unique. Yes, because people that bought tickets for Hillary Duff were... Uh, eight, little girls. eight to ten year old girls, and, younger too, and sixteen year old boys. Oh no, I, no I, was a lot, I was a lot older. You were older, yeah. yeah. Twenty eight year old Ross Fernandez. Know about it no, at well, that I, point, but. I, I wasn't allowed to get in until the very end. <laughs> There's this Polestar article, which is like the trade magazine for concert promotion, and it's about the show. And the Phoenix rep that was interviewed in that is referred to as. Fat Matt. That is awesome. <laughs> in, in this formal That's trade so article. And, yeah. and it's, I just remember I was thinking like, God, I wish that maybe, and Fat Matt, you're, you're wonderful. I love you. But, <laughs> but it just sort of made it uh, seem a little, his yep. words kind of made the venue not really, I, I don't uh, know. Oh, So here we go. The article reads something like, uh, we spoke with uh, venue representative Fat Matt, who, who is only known as Fat Matt, and he had this to say, and the quote was like, yeah, we thought they had the wrong building. We couldn't believe they wanted to play here. <laughs> That's it awesome. Was, look, here's the way I remember going down. Uh, I think it was Andy Summers. And Andy calls up and says, hey, Tom, we want to bring Hillary Duff in uh, to the Phoenix. Uh, Andy, this is the Phoenix Theater. Yeah, we want to bring Hillary Duff in. Uh-huh. 
Now, <laughs> you know, Andy, Hillary Duff, you know, Nickelodeon, Disney and all that stuff. Phoenix Theater, you know, kind of punk pits and all that. Yeah, right. We want to bring her in. Schism. Yeah, okay. Perfect. <laughs> Andy, I will give you one more chance at this. I'm telling you, this is the Phoenix Theater. You, you can say no now if you want to. But if you give me one more offer, we're going to take that show. And he said, Tom, we want to do the show. We'll take it. <laughs> and uh, we did. We had the mayor of Petaluma waiting overnight in line down at Board Betty's shop where we were selling tickets to get tickets for him and his daughter to come in. People waited overnight in long lines. It was a phenomenon. She yeah. was a phenomenon. I met Mike Dirt from Green Day at that show. <laughs> Mike Dirt brought his daughter here. What a great experience. I was able to come in during like one of the last songs to see her lip singing, but really it was um, <laughs> it was awesome. No, no, it was really awesome. Like it was one of the coolest. Like, <clears throat> it was so cool to be able to see like a room full of like very, 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 very young people. Like I would yeah. say like four, five, six, seven, eight. Like but, all these really young girls that were experiencing their first live performance. And at the Phoenix, I thought it was an awesome thing. I, I just can't believe that. Um, it was a lot of fun. What, you know, it does. It's one of my standout moments. So uh, she comes back out to do the show's over. She walks off stage. She's going to do an encore. So she comes back out to do an encore, and the crowd surges forward. Now, we had to have a barricade for that show. So the crowd surges forward, and a little girl is getting crushed against the barricade. Huh. So uh, Big Mike is yeah. working the barricade. He grabs her up lifts her over the barricade and sticks her on the stage. Awesome. She promptly throws up <laughs> in front of 900 people. It on was command. classic. It was, it was like it was like a schizo show. It was like a schizo show. It was it was incredible. I love That's that. hot right now. Lady Gaga just did that. That's right. You know, it, it started at the Phoenix. So if Lady Gaga is doing it, it's because it started at the Phoenix. I'm telling you. Everything starts at the Phoenix. That's right. When we're booking shows now like, you know, we don't care. We'll, uh, we'll email anybody we want anybody to play. Um, I would never say well, are you sure you want to play here? I mean, once they yeah. express interest, they can Google it if they want to. But I always do get nervous the day of the show when certain high-profile acts come through. And that leads to my question. What's the snottiest reaction you've ever had from an artist that's played here? Oh, from an artist? I remember when Smashing Pumpkins played here, they were pretty snotty about it. Do you remember that? You were kind of heated about it. Yeah, I probably would. You know, again, if it's snotty, it has to go back to Morrissey again. And Oh. I don't want to beat that dead horse. <laughs> no, but he didn't like Petaluma. Like, what, about, like what about the decor of the building? I just remember the tour manager of the Smashing Pumpkins show he was on the phone. He was all like, he's like, you're never going to believe this place. I can't yeah. believe this, you know? And then I remember Billy Corgan walking. The only thing I heard Billy Corgan say at that show was he was, they had so much gear for that show because it's built. That presentation is built for a stage that's like twice as big as yeah. this, but they fit it all on our stage, which is the stage we're on right now, by the way. That's what's up. That's uh, right. History. But there were so many cases that in order to walk through the backstage, which we call the AFR, but he had so many cases that to walk through, there was like a two foot wide path. Uh, through from door to door, and that was it. That's how many cases they had piled up. So I just remember hearing him say, laughing and saying, oh, is this my dressing room? And laughing. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but no, his tour manager was snotty. And the so answer would have been yes. You haven't dealt with many people being no, snotty about you know the venue? What? No, uh, if you go down in the basement, uh, you can see where four non-blondes actually wrote on the wall, four non-blondes were never here. Yeah. That was, and also, I thought an, an interesting in remark about the Phoenix was, uh, we had Exene in from X uh, to do a spoken word thing maybe five or six years ago, and she had played here in the early 80s. And so when I got to her, I said, geez, Exene, I, I, it's such an honor to have you back in here. I, I love what you've been doing over the years. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me and she goes, uh, have I been here before? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, never mind. 
us. I do kind of enjoy it when we get high-profile people, and then they get in here, and they're like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Man, this venue to me is like the coolest venue out oh, there. Oh, I think, yeah, the, venue's, I think, it's I think the venue's amazing, too. I love it. It's yeah, my favorite yeah. venue. But there are people who would see it, and they'd put their nose up to it. Oh, yeah. But, oh, you yeah. know, a lot of times the fear is when they get in and realize our stage is only three and a half feet off the uh, floor. That's and it. that can make some artists a little bit nervous. But in the Hillary Duff case, I gave the guy three warnings. And I usually will because, really, I don't want somebody to come here and have a bad experience either. If, if there's a performer that doesn't want to play here, then I'd rather not you know, have that happen. Well, because you know it's going to be a problem sooner or later, so it might as well just... <clears throat> I'd like them to have it. the experience that they want to have. I want right. them to all be comfortable. We've won a lot of people over, though. We've had yeah, people come in and, and be happy with it. By most the end. people are like, wow, this is a really cool place. Yeah. I, I've always felt like, well, maybe because I was like, you know, I cut my teeth on this stage. Yeah, but, right. It's home for us. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've always felt like... This, there's like a special quality about this building and it's evident because like you know you think about like AFI's first single was about this building you know it's, it's extremely underappreciated in the town and I get a good cross section of people at my work across the street and I feel yep. like you know your average pedalumen <laughs> yes, comes into is. my salon you know to get their hair done and, and I, I feel like there's a really negative connotation with, Still the, is, yes. with the building no, that's, and, that's sure. and, and, it's, and to me I, like it, it kills me and I, I you know I'm, I'm so fierce in my like you know I, I believe in this place and I believe in Tom and I believe in you and it's like it kills me and it just I, I, I wish that people had any understanding of what this place means to this community. You know? But at the same time, this town is quirky enough to actually uh, yeah, it's put almost, up with us and, put, uh, and well, live with but us. But you know what? As you've always said, Tom, it's like a, it's like 50%. 50% love it and 50% well, aren't into it. And I it. felt like there was, a, you know, there was a point in time with Petaluma. I felt like there was a point where it could have gone two ways. It, it was either going to go the way of Berkeley or it was going to go the way of Mill Valley. And it went the way of Mill Valley. And I totally understand it because most people that lived in Mill Valley got priced out so they had to move to you know oh cute Petaluma it's great was, <laughs> it happens it but happens the fact everywhere matters, really when I was a kid even in the 80s well I wasn't a kid in the 80s but in, even in the 70s and the 80s uh, locals were complaining about Marinites moving up here uh, yeah and, right uh, and it's just it, it's the and, way it's always been but that's the way Petaluma is yeah. uh, nobody nobody that founded this town was born yeah. here anyway right. it was it was a uh, I'm sure it was people... put together well you know the story about Petaluma how it was how it was actually plotted out and, and sold no that was Garrett Keller we're on Keller Street your oh, right. shop is on Keller Street so Garrett Keller is coming back from the gold fields. He came from the East Coast, and he came in the late 1840s, 1848 or so, to find gold, and he did not find gold. So he, was, he had heard that he could uh, take this cut in the mountains uh, through the valley, cut in the mountains that drops him off at this little slough, and at this slough, he'll slew. be able to pick up a boat. Well, because the yeah. Petaluma River is a slough. Yeah, absolutely. And at this slough, he'll be able to pick up a boat eventually that will take him back to San Francisco. Then he can jump a freighter. Well, not a freighter in those. He can, he can jump a, uh, a schooner and get back home on the East Coast. That's what he intended to do. So he found his way to the banks of the Petaluma River, and he was somewhere near the Turning Basin. And he was sitting on the banks of the river, I imagine. And he looked around, and he goes, oh, my God. This would make a great little shipping town for all these farmers that I met that right. are up in that up north of here. Yeah. Uh, they need to have services. This would be the place. So when the boat finally came and got him, he got on the boat, he went back to San Francisco, hired a surveyor, brought their surveyor to Petaluma, platted out downtown Petaluma, and sold the lots for $10 a piece. He didn't own any of it. Hmm. He absolutely <laughs> stole this town. And that's the way Petaluma was founded. We, uh, we kind of, Petaluma was stolen right from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. That's what we do. <laughs> Trying to hold on to. Luckily, the, this particular area of Petaluma is, is such that you can't do much to change it. No. It's all been built. And yeah. so there's going to at least be this corner. And for me, that's sometimes enough. Tom, what's the nastiest thing anybody's ever said to you about the building? 
yeah, you know, we had a, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, I've had quite a few nasty things said about the building. Weirdly enough, that stuff kind of goes over my head. To and you, though? Do they, do they come to you and do they say yeah, things? Yeah, I had, I had a, a, a woman here uh, about a month and a half ago that was wondering how I could sleep at night knowing that everybody was down here doing drugs. And, uh, you know, I, that, oh, all man. I could do was just say, I, I don't think you're right. I think you're wrong. Because, and I know you're, and I know that that's not what's going on. It's, that is a, a terrible statement to make about mm. the people that I love that hang out down here. Because we really don't have, uh, I don't think we have much more than the natural average of drug use. I need to be very aware. And, and I keep up on these things that, uh, in what was the number was like 30. 33%, I think, in the last month uh, of our teenagers in this country have, have drinking uh, alcohol or done drugs. Well, most and kids so, do. Yeah, well, yeah, correct. And, and, but I won't even go there. Uh, but what, what would be smart for me is to understand yeah. that probably a percentage of my audience every Friday and Saturday night are going to be uh, on something. Well, sure, yeah, because that always gets brought up to, oh, I don't let my kids go to the Phoenix because there's drugs there. Well, the, uh, there's two sides to this. I feel like going to the Phoenix and having something to do and really, during the Scott yeah. days, dancing all night long, yeah, right. that's yeah. the stuff that kept me away from drugs yeah. and giving me a hobby and giving me something that I was interested in and, get, and harnessing, like, like having the ability to be able to book any show that I want. Like, you know, well, and, 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 no, and no one here is saying that drugs aren't a problem for kids. It absolutely no. is. Yeah, yeah but, but I never... But, but, this, but I believe that this place can be a, a good thing. You well, know? It, it, and it, for me and from all my friends, it really was like... Nobody ever got really into drugs because of the Phoenix. In fact, yeah. if anything, like it, we avoided it, it yeah, it because was, we were too busy practicing so that we right. could play, yeah. play the shows. Yeah, that that's was, what that we was, wanted to do. Not that drugs, was what we were hoping for. The Phoenix. Right. And I still contend there isn't a drug in the world that can get you as high as playing in front of an audience that digs you. Absolutely yeah. not. Boy, is that a yeah, great high! Sure. So this August we have my first experience with stand-up comedy at the Phoenix Theater. Mick Foley, yeah. a professional wrestler. Oh, God. Tom, have yeah. we had a comedy act on the stage before? <laughs> yes, we had. We've had Pauly Shore. No, he's... Uh, we had Pauly no Shore. Can you get him again? <laughs> it, uh, I think he might not be no. allowed to play here again no. after what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what he's happened? another one of those. Are you kidding, Munching Pauly Shore? Grindage. So, uh, <laughs> we had some issues with... He had... Uh, Whenever Tom was, stammers like this, yeah. it's like, you know it's it's like he's trying to explain in the nicest way something nicest bad trying that to somebody did. No, his I own story was bad. More. We had gotten into a discussion about what, who we would allow backstage to be his masseuses. Oh, yeah. Oh, All right. uh, yeah. We, we had learned from Red Hot Chili Peppers not to allow uh, local girls in the backstage dressing room. Um, and not much. And we'll come back to that in a yeah, moment. Yeah, really, but that wasn't necessarily <laughs> all that bad because, honest God, they were young themselves. But it, it just it, it it got a little interesting back there, and we decided that all right, that's the end of that. We don't let the local girls backstage yeah. at, at all costs. We can help it. Well, Paulie Shore comes shortly after that, and he's looking for just about every girl in town to be his masseuse backstage. Or, but we had the rule was no, no local girls backstage. Well, he didn't like that. But I wasn't going to relent, and it was a Sonoma State show, mm. and Sonoma State had already paid the rental. So I really, at that point, didn't do? much care. Right. I'm not going to let a bunch of girls backstage for whatever reason, and I'm not saying there was anything nefarious that he was thinking. However, we weren't going to allow it. He got upset. There was maybe a few words spoken, and he, <laughs> and he hasn't been back since. He did play, the next time he played, he played up at Luther Burbank, 
and had done fairly well there, I guess. But I and I and I may have misunderstood, but I may have heard that maybe they didn't intend to have him back after that. But then the next show was at the Mystic. Paulie was doing an interview on the Fox, I think, Fox Radio Station, <laughs> for that show, and they were asking, "Well, gee, you've uh, you've played this area before a few times." I have. Yeah, well, you played. Well, you played Petaluma once before. I did. Yeah, you played at the Phoenix Theater. You played at the Phoenix. He goes, oh. That was that kind of dumpy place, wasn't it? Oh, you son of a bitch. So the day of the show, I cleared it. It was a weekend night. We had a show, but I cleared our marquee just so I could have, hey, Polly, eat me. Nice. Our, yeah. Did you, really, did you really do that? Yeah, it was up on the marquee. Oh, good oh, for you. Awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, and then he played the Mystic. That reminds oh, me. Awesome. How many times have you used the marquee as a as a weapon? How many times have you used no, the marquee no, no. as a weapon? I don't think I have a, that much, have I? I don't think. I, I just w- remember we got some bad press in the Argus at one point, oh, yeah. and we were having a discussion between you and I. They That's had a bunch true. of anti-Phoenix articles, yeah. and they had a, an editorial. It was titled "Phoenix Theater: Public Menace?" Question oh, mark. Yeah. And then, and then Tom wanted to put on the marquee Argus Courier: bad Public press. Menace. Yeah, oh, should have. <laughs> so, yeah. Paulie Shore wanted to have fourteen-year-olds backstage. You didn't. Allow I him. didn't say that at all. <laughs> he wanted, That's what I heard. He wanted to have local I, I girls backstage. But you, they, it didn't happen. No, it, we wouldn't let that happen. Okay, so now... And that my, kind of upset him. Here's a story I heard about the Red Hot Chili Peppers show. I heard that they played, and that was a lot of fun, early 90s or whatever. And then, of course, they, they skyrocketed into fame. Yeah, but yeah. what I heard was that there was a young, maybe 14-year-old girl that was hanging out with the I, band. She was 16, I guess. Mm. I, she seemed much older even to me. But yeah. I think it was John Frusciante when he was very young. Yeah. and he quit um, and then joined back. Yeah, and then joined back again yeah. but anyway he did uh, he, he fell in love with uh, a, a local girl it was the darndest thing and this did happen and I'm not saying because I may be wrong about which guitar player it was uh, as they were leaving first off they're packing out and, and Anthony says to me as he's walking out well it's the last time we're going to play this house uh, because they were they had just been picked up they were about to go very big and they were going to be playing anything this size for an awful long time so this is the last time we're going to play this house well let's see you guys thanks a lot and off to the bus he went uh, next was the guitar player who was talking with this girl, uh, and he hit her with the line, I can't believe I'm saying this. I've never said this to a girl before in my life. Oh, no. And, of course, the line after this, I, I, I think I love you. <laughs> and that was the line. And at that point, I said, oh, my God, I don't believe I just heard that. And I slammed the door on both of them. And, uh, and off to the bus they went. Uh, you later saved the that chili night, peppers. Well... <laughs> Later that night, that girl's father was here looking Thanks. for her. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, he had so- me on the phone calling hotels trying to find oh. her. Oh. The, the way the story was told to me was it was late and you were doing cleanup or I was, something. Yeah, I was here cleaning. And this, this frantic father comes oh, up yeah, to you and down, says, yeah. where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Tom. Yes. Well, <laughs> honest to God, you mean she's only 16? 800 I, people here. Where's my daughter, Tom? Oh, well, man. Unfortunately, I had to assume it was uh, this one girl, and son of a gun, it was. And this is, uh, she did go to San Francisco with them. So they, she got on the tour bus, and she got on down the, tour the road bus she and down went. down the road she went. Wow. And it surprised the hell out of me. Uh, I never really thought about it. We were kind of new in the rock and roll game. And uh, so we got hit with that one early, and it was determined then that we don't let we don't let the Petaluma girls backstage. Oh, yeah, well, and it's hard to really manage that stuff. It's it's tough. It you really don't tough. know who's who. And <laughs> right, you know, I can remember playing a concert with the Codmouth Kings, 
here huh. one year. Yeah. You know, we actually did have, I remember that show, we did have issues, and we did have to run the locals out. So yeah. uh, what of your groups played on the Codmouth King show? What, oh, yeah. I, I played with, um, it, when, it was the three-piece rap group, the Furious Minds. Like, we yeah. played with the Codmouth Kings. You guys got some good traction, didn't you? Yeah, yeah we, we see your yeah. names on a lot of flyers and stuff. Oh, yeah, well, we, we hit it hard. We were yeah. always trying to flyer. Well, we did a lot of great shows. Like, it was a really, it was a nice period of little pocket of time yeah. with a cool little group of bands like Toast Machine and Boston Auto and... Well, there's You Know My Name that was in there also. Yeah. There was a whole bunch of cool little bands. Furious Minds was a rap group. Then. Yeah, Furious Minds yeah. was a rap group, and well, we, we played a lot of cool well, shows. What was the yeah. coolest show you played, do you think? One of the best shows that I ever played at the Phoenix with Furious Minds was when we played the, the Tom, basically the Bailout the Phoenix show. Was that the and, PG&E yeah. show? Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. The and we played, we played the Balcony, and that was cool because yeah. it was like the, you know, the band on stage was done. I think it must have been like Love Equals Death or something. Yeah. And then everyone turned around and they put the lights on the balcony and we played up on the balcony. It was interesting to see like at the time it was probably like 650 people all looking straight up at you. you I know? don't and think it, anybody could hear it though. The sound sucked. No. The speakers we were up there, up there. We and did. it was like bouncing up. It, it was yeah. not. But, well, it, but now you know why the Pope and various emperors throughout time have chosen to stand oh, yeah. high above the crowd. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, nice I, to see a mass of people looking you know, up at you. Um, that was one of the coolest. I think that the Cottonmouth King show actually was a really was cool a experience show, yeah. too. So you've, you've dabbled in rap. Everything you've dabbled in ska, yeah, metal, metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. still, rock. I still, yeah, country like, rock. But it's true. Country, now we're in a country rock phase. Pop, what I think he does best, though, he is he's you, uh, Ross. You have a great ear for pop. And want to segue into what you're doing in like three weeks? Oh yeah, that's right. Me and Woody, are, <laughs> and me and my and Woody um, are playing Coachella, which is going to be a really yeah huge crazy thing. It's yep. gonna be fun. Can't wait. Yeah. That's really wonderful. It is gonna be fun. Yeah, it's a trip. And that brings up one name from the past. I think Couchella, Leo, Leo. Nitzberg. Yeah, Leo. Leo Nitzberg. Yeah, and, and who also has the coolest mom in Petaluma. Oh, I think. Definitely. So Leo yeah. grew up in Petaluma. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And now he he's did. achieved a power position in Golden so, Voice. Yeah, like Leo. Yeah. So we'll give you a little. He's a Phoenix kid, right? He's a Phoenix kid. Yeah, he's, he's, a Phoenix kid. yeah he's I, I've known him since Leo was. I think I met Leo when Leo was sixteen. I guess they were having a Coachella meeting, and one of the remixes that me and Woody or Woody put out. And I like do a lot of bass and guitar work for Woody. I guess it, it like hit the trending page on SoundCloud and it got really big numbers right away. And so I think when that was when the Coachella meetings were going on, Leo was dicking around in the smartphone and, and saw that we were trending and that's when the idea came up that they should put him on and, and there was that, you know, Leo had worked with these guys or Woody had worked with these guys and so it was just kinda like, All right Which is gonna be weird because it's gonna be um our first real show is like what we're doing. But well, that's that's the best. Yeah. So, and do you know what day you're playing? We're playing both Saturdays at, at, right after. I think, I, from what I understand, is we're playing after Outcast. That's great. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. seriously, that is yeah. really really cool. Just stick with it, and cool things yeah, happen. Stick with uh, it. Yeah. Oh, you know, but uh, hey, if you would have given up, you wouldn't be playing Coachella. Well, I, I kind of. I mean, you, just, you know you what? You just want everybody up. else to <laughs> give up so that you can, can keep rise the top, you can keep you know? rising yeah. to the top. Like in the last 15 years, 16 years since I've been playing shows, and and like, oh, you know, like I remember the first taste I got of like. Hey, there's a record company that wants to do a showcase with you guys in LA. I was 15, and I remember going, "Oh my God, it's I'm going to be famous. Magic I'm, I, beans. I, it's I, Magic I, it's going to happen. You know, you got a show with Real Big Fish down there. It's going to be amazing. Oh, hey, by the way, you know, you're playing up with uh, Listen Jake, and so there was all these like magic beans being fed to us. And certain things would happen. And what band was this? Mainstream trend. Mainstream trend. So yeah, I got, yeah, you got I got it. all these when I was like a real young kid, 14, 15, 16. I got all this shit thrown my way of like really being in a band that was, even though we were kids, it was pretty successful. And and yeah. around here, it was like we were rocking. Yeah, it was a good time because it was a good scene. So we rode that scene. 
after that, it was just like the scene completely just fell apart. So Ross has his homework. He needs to make his band huge so he can sell out the Phoenix again. Oh, God. Okay. We'd appreciate it. So yeah, about like about music, I got a ton of new stuff coming out. I just yeah, released an good. album. You can find anything that I do on RoscoeSoulTrain.com or on SoundCloud. Um, any all the other stuff I work on a ton of Woody's stuff. It's called Woody's Produce doc, or yes, Woody's Produce dot com or Produce. just Woody's Produce on Google, whatever. Um, I do videos with Colin Goheen. You can yeah. find it if you search Colin Goheen on Google or Vimeo. Vimeo. Yeah, like you can find any of his stuff. I, I'm gonna do. Me and Smith got a, a record that's gonna be coming out pretty soon. It's fire, nasty. Oh, Me and Woody yeah. and um, and Colin and a bunch of other like random like a group a team of people are are working on a cartoon right now which is a lot of fun and not costing us that much money, which is even better. Well, you know, we had Josh Stables and Josh Drake on a couple weeks ago, and I feel the same way about you guys that I do about them, which is I find it very admirable and great that you guys are creating and doing. It's a lot of fun to be in the presence of people who are excited about life and who are doing things. I don't really like money, so it's really good for me. That's, that's helpful. The, <laughs> well, you've you've come to the right stage. I like you, pasta. Yeah. You're sitting come with the right the people. Right stage. Yeah. Yes. I ate a lot of pasta. <laughs> well, good. I, yeah. We look forward to all of the future <laughs> yeah. projects. Yeah. You want to play us out with a song then? Yeah, for sure. This next yeah, one other thing relevant to the Phoenix I think you should add about Ross is that he is the personal historian of the graffiti art that goes up here because yeah. he catalogs oh, yeah, it right. all yeah. by photo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all on his Instagram. You know, so I, I don't know if you throw a link up for that for anyone that's actually oh, yeah. interested on in graffiti. On Instagram, check out Soul Train. We're going to close out a song with Tebow. It's, uh, this one's called Enlightening. It's about... Um, <laughs> I don't think you should tell us. It's about giving up. It's giving about up giving art. up. Yeah. Shotgun. I could have had a gnome 
Sacramento, good night. We love you.